jump on in. My name's Ryan Holiday, and I'm a clinical research psychologist here at the Rocky Mountain Myrec. And what I do here is I focus particularly on understanding some of the intersections between different stressors that a lot of our veterans have experienced in the past, whether it's trauma, whether it's homelessness, whether it's justice involvement, and how those really intersect to not only increase distress, but also to increase risk for suicide. And I want to definitely introduce two people who we are privileged to have join us today to talk a little bit more about some of those content domains that I think are really important. So to jump on in, we made things really easy by having two Sean's on this call. So the first is going to be Sean Liu. So Sean Liu, can you tell me a bit more about yourself? Hey, yeah, thanks, Ryan. As you mentioned, my name is Sean Liu. I'm a program analyst for the clinical operations section in the VHA National Homeless Program Office. I do a lot of different fun things in my portfolio that involve the development and implementation of policies, plans, guidelines, and proposals for a whole host of VA homeless programs and initiatives, including, of course, while we're here, is the integration of VA homeless programs into our overall nationwide efforts for suicide prevention. I do a lot of work on the side as well, providing technical support and assistance with our coordinated entry initiatives, in identifying and disseminating strong and innovative practices across our program operations and helping to evaluate communities who seek federal confirmation of achieving the effective end of veteran homelessness. Wow, that definitely sounds great. And I know today we'll be talking a little bit more about uh, some of the programming the VA offers because I think there's uh, definitely a lot of really great programming targeted at veterans at risk for homelessness. And, and I think really increasing knowledge both within and outside the VA is, is definitely paramount. Now to move on to either Sean number one or Sean number two, depending on how you want to classify yourself. But Sean Clark, can you tell me a bit more about yourself? Great. Same question for you, Sean Clark. Thanks. Uh, this is Sean Clark. Uh, I'm the National Director of the Veterans Justice Program, and that's a component uh, of the VA Homeless Program within within VHA. And for those who aren't familiar, there, there are two parts to the Veterans Justice Program, so two components, Healthcare for Reentry Veterans, which is a program that conducts outreach with veterans in state and federal prisons as they're preparing for release, and Veterans Justice Outreach, which works with veterans who are involved with what we call the front end of the criminal justice system, so law enforcement, local courts, and, and the jails. Those two programs share a mission. Um, this is all about outreach to veterans in different criminal justice settings to facilitate access to VA care at the earliest possible point, and that's important. It's the same intervention in concept. The work just looks a little bit different depending on where in the criminal justice system it's taking place. So, for example, working in a veteran's treatment court looks different than conducting outreach in a federal prison. But those are the two programs, and in my role, I provide strategic planning, guidance, and then and, and policy and operational guidance. I have about 400 folks who work in those two programs across the country. That definitely sounds awesome as well. It sounds like there's a lot of great work being done there. And just like with uh, what Sean Lee was talking about, I'm sure we'll be definitely delving in and discussing that a little more throughout uh, the what we're talking about today. And before we even kind of jump into that, I think one thing that might be really important is for us to know a little bit more about what led both of y'all to being interested and passionate about these content areas. So kind of staying with, with you, Sean Clark, could you tell me a bit more about how, how you ended up in the role you're in and, and working with this population? Well, sure. So I, I came to VA back in 2007 on a fellowship out of law school. And while I was, while I was there, 
I've spent a lot of my time and um, energy uh, focused on, on criminal justice and on, on what folks experience of the criminal justice system is like and draws a little bit on my uh, uh, former life as an anthropology major and just trying to understand the, what the what the experience of passing through an institution like that has, what that means for an individual going through it and what the, what the different outcomes can be. So when I came to VA out of school, there was work going on within the homeless programs at that point that was really fascinating for me with that background. The Healthcare for Reentry Veterans program had just launched right before I got to VA. So folks were beginning to do outreach in state and federal prisons in a systematic way. And I should say that there's a long history of outreach to veterans in, in, in prison facilities in particular. And we always try and honor that. This is work that's been going on for a long time before there were national programs. Um, dedicated to it. In particular, the vet centers get a lot of credit here, as they should. But that national program had just launched and and was focused on getting veterans access to care once they were released, because it's important to know, for the context of our programs, that VA can't provide treatment to veterans while they're incarcerated, whether that's in prison or local jail. But because that had just started, I really showed up, or happened to show up at the perfect time, um, to join the conversation about potentially broadening uh, the scope of that intervention and focusing earlier in time when veterans were facing more minor charges and, and passing through local jails, you know, whether that presented a chance to get them linked to services and, and hopefully get them stabilized and sort of out of the cycle that the criminal justice system turns into for so many people before more severe consequences show up for them. As their involvement continues, charges get more serious and end up sentenced to longer periods of incarceration. So that uh, expansion turned into the Veterans Justice Outreach Program and now joined together their VJP, and I have the privilege to lead it. So it's, it's been a, a pretty amazing opportunity for someone with my interests and background to come into a healthcare system that has been asking these questions and developing these new interventions, and I just feel very privileged uh, to have this opportunity. Wow, that's that sounds really great. It sounds like there was definitely a deficit there that you kind of were discussing where there was this need to facilitate this transition among this population to really reduce uh, this subsequent risk. And it, it sounds like it filled a, a huge need in the veteran population. I'm wondering, Sean Liu, can you tell me a little bit more about kind of the same question for you? Yeah, so, you know, I kind of described my history a little bit in terms of George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life, where when I started out my training as a social worker, I never really uh, anticipated going into homelessness. I actually wanted to do uh, trauma work and PTSD and victims advocacy. But, you know, at the time it came to actually like find internships to go to, none of those opportunities were available. And, and in fact, the only opportunity that was there was a small yet to be opened transitional housing program in Tallahassee, Florida for men, women and families with children. And I said, sure, I need an internship, sign me up. And I've kind of been in homelessness ever since then, eventually finding an opportunity to come over to work with VA in our Healthcare for Homeless Veterans Outreach Program in Jacksonville, Florida. And then with the rollout of Opening Doors, the federal plan to end veterans homelessness and the expansion of the HUDVASH Permanent Supported Housing Program, I found myself switching over from outreach to permanent housing and then just working my way up the ranks being team leads, the supervisors, section chiefs, until I very recently in 2016 joined Sean Clark over here in VA Central Office in the National Homes Program Office, doing a lot of really neat policy development work, still being able to make use of all of kind of the operational frontline work experience that I had to inform a lot of the 
big picture initiatives, policy development and strategies that have been going on so far. And I think, you know, with this work that we're doing now with suicide prevention, you know, um, both mental health has been a passion of mine, both as somebody with lived experience, but also as a, a licensed clinical social worker as well. And when the time came for us to figure out, you know, how are we going to better integrate homeless services into suicide prevention efforts, not only because of this new shift in focus for our administration, but also recognizing the ever-increasing research of the overlap with homelessness risk and suicide risk, we need somebody to kind of take lead on that. And I, I drew the lucky straw, and I'm fortunate to have done so. Great. So it sounds like you were in a position where you kind of had one thought about how your your career trajectory was going to go, and then it kind of pivoted a little bit. And it, it sounds like the veterans homelessness programming got very lucky to have you kind of join the ranks and facilitate not only their growth, but a lot of their programming. And, and I know you both kind of mentioned this, but I'm wondering if you, you both, given that you know, as we talked about at the beginning, part of the focus of this discussion today is to talk a little bit about suicide risk. I'm wondering if you guys can talk a little bit more about how some of the different facets you brought up, both in terms of homelessness as well as justice involvement, kind of intersect with that risk for suicide. So I'm wondering, Sean Liu, can you tell me a bit more about kind of what your thoughts are about what, what is it about veterans who are either experiencing homelessness or at risk for it, who, which really disposes them to increase risk for, for suicide? Yeah, and I want to really kind of acknowledge that a lot of a lot of my understanding has very much been informed lately by the research of Jack Sai, and he's recently joined the National Center on Homelessness Among Veterans, part of our team to really further this research. And, you know, my high level takeaway of reading all of the different articles that have been coming out very recently in the last couple of years is essentially when you think of the Venn diagram of suicide risk and homelessness risk, it is close to an even circle, as you possibly can imagine. So in some of the research that uh, Dr. Sai has been putting out is really identifying risk factors, of course, substance abuse, mental health issues, poverty, social isolation for homelessness. And when we think about risk factors for suicide, you know, some of those are the exact same factors, mental health issues, substance abuse, sense of burdensomeness, recent loss, isolation, relationship issues, legal and family issues, and of course, homelessness. And we actually find homelessness not only in the risk factors for suicide, but when we look at other VA algorithms for identifying adverse risk in general, homelessness seems to creep up as a factor in a lot of those issues. So just having those those similar components leading to such periods of instability in individuals' lives, that it definitely makes sense that not only would they end up in situations where they would lose their housing and experience acute housing crises, but that that crisis would be so stressful uh, to to increase their suicide risk. And one of the other neat bits of neat in terms of the inside, I should say, because uh, it's a very, very serious study. But the things that we're learning is that, especially from a recent article from Dennis Holhane at all about suicidality on the onset of homelessness, is essentially when they can look at the accessing of homeless services and suicide or mental health services, that the veterans who are close to being homelessness, their risk for suicide peaks just before their episode of homelessness. Looking at this very, very acute window of things, you know, from an individual perspective, falling apart and how traumatic and stressful that can be, 
And I think that really leads us to, to be more mindful for veterans in this very acute situation and potentially uh, direct efforts to really provide extra support in those situations. And not only that, when veterans fall into homelessness, make sure that they're connected to all of the resources that they need to not only address their housing crises, but all of the other mental health, relationship recovery and financial issues that they need to take care of as well. And I think that's that's so great, all the things you're saying, because I think it's really consistent with VA's uh, whole health initiative. I think it's really conceptualizing all these risk factors as some are being independent and some are really interrelated, kind of like what you were talking about with that Venn diagram. And even more so, I find it just so interesting what you're talking about with these different points at which the risk is peaking. I think a lot of uh, people who are going to be tuning into this, that might be really interesting and because they might just say, well, they're at risk for homeless or they're homeless. So that's just a risk factor. And I think on top of that inherent risk, there are these uh, peaks and valleys of it, like you're saying, where it's really important for us to be assessing and intervening. Kind of in the in the same regard, I'm wondering, Sean Clark, can you tell me a little bit more about what are your thoughts about justice involvement and suicide risk kind of in the same vein? Well, you know, and, and I, I important that, you know, credit where it's due, what we know about the, the risk levels of, of veterans who we served um, in the Veterans Justice Program, it really is thanks to, to Kristen Paulson and John McCarthy at SmyTrack. And, and we know, unfortunately, that the rate of suicide is more than two, two times higher among veterans who we serve in the justice programs than, than veterans who were served in VHA as a whole. And there's still a lot more we need to know, but I, I, I think that reflects some traits of the justice-involved population as a whole that affects veteran suicide risk as well. One of those is younger age. Criminal justice populations tend to be on the younger side. You know, intense involvement with the criminal justice system is something that most people typically age out of um, over time. You don't see a lot of um, elderly folks who are actively um, getting arrested and, and, and sentenced to periods of incarceration. The elderly population um, among the long-term incarcerated population, but that's, that's a separate issue. But also higher rates of, of mental health and substance use disorders than the general population. The criminal justice population in the U.S. does not look like the rest of the country. You do see higher concentrations of those clinical issues as well as those demographic differences in age is a big one. So in other words, you know, justice-involved veterans look a lot like justice-involved individuals as a whole, and they look like them in ways that put them at increased risk for suicide. So, you know, this is uh, a lot of the things that, that Sean was just talking about. I, I want to co-sign. It's, you know, we're talking about a lot of the same risk factors. Uh, I think you just begin to see how all these different experiences and all these different risks are interrelated. And we're talking about, you know, more than one of them at once. Uh, you know, when we talk about prevention strategies and we talk about what the experience is like for these different populations, I think, you know, we want to be careful not to think of them necessarily as discrete populations. You know, these are kind of overlapping lenses to look at, 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 at folks through. And I think that's so interesting and kind of transitions well into something I think that's really important when you were talking about the overlap in these populations and how it's not just discrete factors. It's not just that someone's at risk for homelessness or involved with the criminal justice system. It's all of these factors, mental health, access to resources, justice involvement, homelessness. And and I know you both kind of were discussing this a little bit earlier where the Veterans Justice Program within the VA is kind of housed within some of the homelessness services offered. And I'm wondering, can can you both kind of talk a little bit more about what, what is the overlap here? Because from what I've seen in the literature, there definitely is one. Could you tell me a little bit more about that, Sean Clark? 
Well, sure. I mean, it's important, I think, to start with, you know, by saying that I always lead, often lead conversations with, you know, the fact that incarceration as an adult male is, has been shown as the most powerful predictor of homelessness. I, I'm, I'm not a clinician or a researcher, but that, that blew my hair back when I had hair and heard this for the first time, you know, because I would have guessed something else, probably a few things before incarceration. I would have said mental health issues, substance use um, disorder, and those have a huge role to play, obviously. But incarceration as an adult male is very tightly linked with risk for homelessness. And that's why we in the, in the justice programs are part of the prevention arm of, of, of the VHA homeless programs. I think it makes sense to think about that connection in terms of direct and indirect links. So on the direct side, it's intuitive to me anyway, that being incarcerated for a long period of time puts you at risk for homelessness in the future because every part of that experience attacks some element of housing stability. So having a felony record attached to your name um, and a history of incarceration, those things limit your employment options, sometimes really dramatically. You know, the family and social supports that you that were there for you when you went in to an institution are much more likely to have eroded, to have deteriorated the longer amount of time that you're that you're incarcerated and that you're away from them, um, able to maintain those ties. And much more likely the longer you're in that you'll be coming out to much less support, if any, than you had when you went in. That's just the passage of time and you know, sort of the, the, the fact of, of leaving a leaving a social system or, or a web of social systems. And depending on the nature of your conviction, you may come out barred from public housing, barred from a lot of the resources that um, exist to support folks who are having a, a struggle of one kind or another. So I, I think for long-term incarceration, serving 20 years, say, in a state prison, I think that's, that's a pretty intuitive link to grasp, that when you come out, there may not be a lot there for you, I mean, certainly compared to, to what was there when you, when you started serving a sentence like that. But... What I always um, like to remind myself is that even short periods of incarceration, a week or even a few days in a local jail can really put you at risk for losing your housing and your job as well. Things can fall apart really quickly. It does not take a felony conviction and a years-long sentence in a, in a state or federal prison to just immediately destabilize someone's life. If you're living with a, with a small margin of error for your housing stability, which is the case for a lot of folks across the country, unfortunately, you can end up homeless with just a minor brush with the criminal justice system. It can be all it takes to kind of tip the balance and put someone at risk um, for falling into homelessness. And again, on the indirect side, it's important, I think, to remember that, that many of the same features that define risk for homelessness generally are very present in criminal justice populations, including veterans. So, you know, high rates of mental health and substance use disorders. Again, you know, we're, we sort of have multiple different ways of describing, I, I think, what is in some ways the same experience when we come at it through these different lenses of homelessness risk and justice involvement. Well, I, I think that's incredibly interesting, especially what you're talking about with justice involvement being the, this huge predictor for homelessness. And, I, and it's interesting because like you were saying, you, you have all these other things come to the forefront of your mind, maybe a substance use disorder or, or a psychotic disorder, depression. And at the same time, I think if we think about things kind of in our day in life, if our routine were to be disrupted, right, if we were to lose stable employment or we were to lose income that we might be depending on it, it makes a lot of sense. And it might not be at the forefront of a lot of our providers' minds because they're, maybe they're focusing on the PTSD, doing their therapies or things like that, which is really important. And we also have to hold these, these things constant. 
I'm wondering, Sean Liu, what what are your thoughts? Do you do you have anything to add to kind of those those great points that Sean Clark was making? Yeah, I think you know I've grown a deeper appreciation for the work that Sean Clark's team does over the years, and especially from approaching this from the more downstream, working with street or sheltered veterans and trying to get them into housing, and just seeing, as Sean mentioned, how even small smaller misdemeanor charges or smaller periods of time of incarceration can impact the housing process. One of the things that we get to see nationwide is uh, feedback from different VAs across the country and some of the barriers that they're running into in regards to getting veterans connected to housing and ending their homelessness. There's many that top the list pretty regularly when we do these reviews. Housing stock, the affordable housing crisis is a real thing. You know, good access to substance treatment, good access to mental health care, But, you know, a little bit further down are things such as criminal backgrounds, legal issues, right, which are things that even if a a VA social worker in the homeless program is working with a homeless veteran who is not at this moment justice involved, that past history of justice involvement is is kind of coming to a head now when they're searching for apartments, when they're trying to use their housing resources to get connected to care and are running into things such as criminal background checks and others, right? And I think of some things that people who are outside of our homeless service sector don't necessarily realize is that we don't necessarily have specific veteran housing. A lot of the veterans are going into the same fair market value apartments that you or I would rent to on the open market, which means they are subject to the same credit checks and background checks. And so what I've grown appreciation for, especially for Sean's team over at the Justice Program, is the ability to get ahead of that a little bit and set veterans up better for success, whether through resources or through diversionary programs, so that downstream, if they become homeless, those social workers who are then tasked with getting them housed have a slightly easier job because there's less less barriers that they have to work through and overcome. And just kind of really speaking, Ryan, as you pointed out, just all of the different interconnectedness. We want to think so often that these are different categories and they're really just connections on different parts of a continuum. And, you know, I think both of you have really connected a lot of these dots about how homelessness as well as justice involvement are risk factors for suicide, as well as their substantial overlap with both each other, as well as other risk factors like mental health. I'm wondering if both of you could take uh, some time to talk a little bit about what the VA is doing. I know we've already touched a little bit upon it, but I think both of your programs are doing such awesome work. And I think not only would it be great to reiterate it, I think it also might expand understanding both among providers within the VA who kind of know it exists, but not entirely sure what all the programming exists or just think about, you know, some of the more traditional programming like permanent housing or transitional housing when we know there's a lot of additional services as well as especially among those outside uh, the VA. And since I kind of started with housing, why don't I uh, jump back to you, Sean Liu, and you you talk a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. So the VHA homeless programs have a wide array of services that provide a lot of different interventions for veterans along different parts of their homeless journey, from initial engagement and outreach to to emergency shelter services, to providing one-stop shops where not only VA social workers, but other providers in the community can gather and co-locate so a veteran doesn't have to go all the way across town to get care. We also have different emergency and transitional programs where if a veteran needs a temporary place to stay, they can do so. And in some of those instances also get specialized clinical services or other services tailored to their needs. 
And then you mentioned, of course, permanent housing interventions, of course, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention two of our big ones, the Supportive Services for Veterans Family Program, or SSVF, and our HUD-VA Supportive Housing Program, or HUD-BASH Program. Both of these focus on providing permanent housing solutions for veterans of a variety of levels of need and acuity, trying to really tailor the resources that they need to based off of uh, what will keep them stable. We also want to mention the importance of things such as employment are in this, uh, this world. I mean, we mentioned a little bit earlier that financial issues are also a risk factor. So making sure that as veterans get housed, they're not only getting the mental health, substance abuse, medical care that they need, but they're also being set up for financial success as well. The one other thing that I want to add, though, and this is one of the things that have been coming out in some of the recent research, is the identification or, or the, I, the potential idea being floated that homeless services as a whole in and of themselves might be indirect suicide prevention strategies. If we think of homelessness risk, increasing suicide risk, the fact that we're giving people homes and supports might actually be a suicide risk intervention in and of itself. So to that end, we are also looking at specific ways to make sure that our homeless program operations are integrating very, very well with the local facility, with the local facility efforts to address veteran suicide. Whether that's making sure that we identify and stay in touch with any veterans that are in our programs who are flagged as being high risk, but also making sure that for our veterans and our different providers out in the community that they get something called save gatekeeper training, recognizing that not everybody who works with a veteran is a licensed clinical social worker or a clinical psychologist. They may not be trained in mental health, but there's a good chance that a vast majority of those people out in the community are going to be meeting and interacting with veterans who are at risk of suicide and see them more often than we will. So by empowering them to, to recognize the signs of suicide risk, being able to ask the important, most important question of all, are you feeling suicidal? Do you feel like you want to harm yourself? Being able to validate their experience and then get them connected to us, expedite their care to us, that will most likely save a lot more lives. We can't do this alone just as a group of social workers and clinicians in the homeless programs. We need to have as many eyes out there for all of our veterans. And so being able to provide that training to the community is one of those important ways that we bridge the divide of all of these different homeless programs and making sure that veterans get connected to the other resources that are critical as at the Veterans Health Administration as a whole. I think that's a great point about how it really just takes a team to meet these individuals where they're at. You know, I think there's been some really great research coming out about the the percent of veterans who are accessing mental health services at risk for suicide. And we know there's a substantial portion, just like you were saying, who aren't and getting them connected in through these other outlets where they may be accessing resources, whether it's through homelessness services or other services, I think is a really great point. Sean Clark, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the services. I know both of y'all have mentioned some of the, the services being offered, but maybe tell us a little bit more for those who might not be aware. Well, sure. And, you know, I, I, I think Sean covered really well and in, in great detail the, you know, the, the services that our staff are going out into criminal justice settings in order to help veterans connect to. So EJP, so the, the two programs, Veterans Justice Outreach and Healthcare for Reentry Veterans, with their different 
focuses the different parts of the criminal justice system really are not ends in themselves. And we're not looking to, you know, again, because we can't go into a jail or a prison and deliver clinical services. It really is all about finding veterans where they are, helping get a, get a, get a sense of what their needs are going to be when they're able to engage with VA services. And if you're incarcerated, that's, that's at the point of release. And then helping them make that connection. That, you know, the connection is to everything that Sean just described and, you know, whatever else is available in the VA healthcare system beyond it. So for justice-involved veterans, that so frequently includes program services that are offered by the other homeless programs. So folks who are coming out of incarceration, you know, may be appropriate for a transitional housing placement through a, a grant per diem provider that VA funds to provide transitional housing for, for homeless veterans across the country. They may be uh, eligible potentially to go into HUD-BASH, another program that Sean mentioned, may be in need of employment services. And there are homeless veteran-specific employment services, as well as, as, as more broadly focused on employment services available through, through the department. So it, it's not so much a question of our staff delivering a set curriculum of justice-involved veteran-specific content to veterans. It's, it's really that our, our staff are sort of that, that outreach element. We're the, I mean, this is a, probably the wrong image to use, but we're the tentacles of the system um, trying to reach into the criminal justice world and help veterans connect with services that they, they may not have received in the past, may have a need for, and that may be helpful to them in coming out in a way that's going to be stabilizing and in a way that's going to set them up um, for success and, and stability over the long term. So some of the ways that that can look in practice, I've, I've talked a lot about the outreach work that Veterans Justice Program staff do in prisons and jails, and that is a, a big part of, of the profile of the programs. But what folks may be familiar with, because it's, it's by far the best known work that happens in VJP, is, is work with the Veterans Treatment Court and other veteran-focused uh, criminal court programs that are popping up across the country. There are almost 600 of those now. Those are modeled uh, off of drug and mental health courts, and they really get at something that else that Sean Lee mentioned earlier, which was, you know, avoiding sort of steering someone out of the criminal justice process as usual, which may include a period of incarceration, getting them connected to treatment, supervising them over time, usually over a fairly long period of time, months or in some cases years. And then at the end of that, having them emerge, hopefully successfully, having completed, you know, whatever course of treatment was clinically appropriate, having satisfied any other requirements that the court has imposed on them for community service. Or, or whatever else the case might be individually. But then you come out, you know, without having gone through that, you know, tremendously destabilizing and, and risk-inducing experience of incarceration. Now, don't get me wrong, being charged and supervised by, you know, by a treatment court over a long period of time and, and being on probation supervision for that period, not to say that that's not disruptive. That changes your life. That is a major that is a major impact on, on, on your day-to-day -day experience, to be, to be sure. But it avoids a lot of those collateral consequences of, of incarcerating someone. And while at the same time, you know, helping ensure that they're connected with a lot of the services that are going to help them be successful, including treatment, but not only treatment. 
uh, a much broader array of services. So that's a great example, I think, of the type of, of community partnership that our staff are engaged in because they're there as a part of the treatment team working with the judge and the other members and helping make sure that veterans get connected to what they need, stay connected to it, and that the judge and, and, and everybody else on the team has the information they need to keep the case moving forward, hopefully to a successful conclusion for the veteran, which is what everyone wants. These are collaborative enterprises. It's not the sort of adversarial judicial system that you may be used to from, uh, you know, watching Law & Order, for example. It's a very different um, experience. Everyone is working on the same team, wanting to set these participants uh, up for success and, and, and support them in doing so. So there are, like I say, there are a lot of different ways that our staff do their work. That, that, that staffing of veterans treatment courts is only one part of it. Also institutional outreach. They also provide outreach and education to local law enforcement. So the best way to stay out of the, of the criminal justice system is by not getting arrested in the first place. And we want to make sure that local law enforcement have the tools in their in their kit, so to speak, that, that so that they know what services are available through their local VA, how they can help veterans connect to those services, so that when the time comes and they're working with a veteran who may be in a crisis um, situation and an arrest may not be the way that that encounter has to go, if there's an opportunity to connect uh, a veteran to services or to try and direct the veteran to services, that they, they have the information they need to make that option a reality. And so that's, you know, one of the earlier sort of opportunities for uh, deflecting someone out uh, of the criminal justice system in our staff and, and we as a program want to support law enforcement in doing that wherever that's possible. Giving them those tools, again, not, not dictating how they do their jobs, but putting another tool in the kit. So the, the work that our staff do, you know, varies quite a bit in, in its particulars, but the point of it all um, is, is getting veterans connected to the right services within VA and in our community partners, I should say, the community Service providers are, are play a huge role in veterans treatment courts. It's not just VA in there providing all the services by any means. But there's a lot of variation in the way that this work looks from community to community, as there should be, because every local criminal justice system is different, reflects the identity and, and the history of that community. And we want to be flexible enough to, to adapt to that and to be able to work with all those different systems in a way that gets veterans identified and connected to the right services as quickly as possible. And again, that's, that's all in the service of, of helping veterans um, quickly come out of homelessness, if that's the situation they're in when we find them, or help prevent that from happening in the first place. And connecting to this broad array of services that we've got in the homeless programs and elsewhere in VA, we think is a, is, is a great contribution to making that direction. I, I really appreciate the point you were making about community involvement. It definitely is apparent as you're both describing this population and their needs that this is such a an issue that has to span not just within the VA, but outside of the VA and really a collaboration in order to you know, provide optimal care and services. And I think, as you were saying, definitely working with these courts as well as the criminal justice system, like police officers and probation officers, it sounds like a, an amazing opportunity and, and very similar to what you were talking about as well, Sean Liu, about kind of uh, gate and save trainings for uh, these gatekeepers outside of VA. And I'm wondering, you know, I know one of our big missions here at the Rocky Mountain Myrec is to ensure optimal veteran suicide prevention efforts. And I think in in kind of how you were both describing this population, it seems like 
there's two major facets that I think are important for us to maybe spend a little bit of time on, which is what are some things that are important for maybe some mental health providers to know who are practicing within the Veterans Health Administration, as well as maybe what are some things for those who are outside or maybe for providers who are more lay providers, such as probation officers who aren't necessarily providing mental health treatment, but definitely can serve as, as that indirect source of suicide prevention and getting the veteran connected in with services. So I'm wondering um, if we could maybe uh, spend a little bit of time first talking about those working inside VHA, for instance. I'm wondering, Sean Liu, could you talk to me a little about about if you had any advice for a clinical provider within the Veterans Health Administration, what, what sort of things might you tell them that you think are important for them to know? Yeah, I think one of the big things that comes up a lot is really just making relationships with your local homeless program team. I think there are times where there is a desire or impulse for a non-homeless program provider, maybe a primary care doctor, somebody in the mental health clinic or the substance clinic, to need to know the entire full range and milieu of homeless program services so that they know exactly what to refer veterans to. Like that's, that no, nobody expects us to know all of those different domains and be experts on that. I think most importantly is developing relationships with your local homeless program team, whether it's actually your homeless program lead, your outreach workers who are oftentimes the, the first, first line folks who meet with veterans to get them assessed and connected to the care. Really being able to make those connections. I try to tell a lot of my folks, especially not only from the VA homeless programs, but our community partners as well. You know, VA is a bureaucracy, but bureaucracies are people, right? And if we remember that you know, all of these different parts of VA are people and are interacted with people and we form relationships. That's really the best way to make sure that our veterans get connected to care. And so you don't necessarily have to be an expert in terms of what the definitions of homelessness are. What is the wide range of services? Just know if you find somebody who's experiencing a housing crisis, they're worried about where they're going to live. They have indications that they might not have a place to live. Have somebody that you can call, pick up the phone, email, IM, and then start you know, having a discussion about them. I think the more that we can foster those relationships and partnerships, the better. Well, I'll take the easy way out and, and really second that kind of suggestion, which I, I think is important you know, for, for, for providers who are working with justice-involved veterans, just as, as, as it is for those who are working with those who are at risk for homeless or who are already homeless, in which case, some cases, maybe describing the same individual. I, I would encourage VA providers to, to get to know your uh, VJO and, and HCRV staff who are, who are based at your facility and who serve your geographic area and, and talk with them about what types of support they provide to justice-involved veterans and what that looks like. Because as I mentioned earlier, that there is quite a bit of variation on that from, from place to place. Our, our, a lot of our staff have their time sort of divided up differently as, as far as the, the locations where they work, the jurisdictions that they cover, and the, the types of support that they're, they're in a position to provide to justice-involved veterans. So I, I would encourage providers to reach out and have that conversation and, and build that link. And another thing that I think is helpful about that um, is not just so that you can make um, a referral quickly and effectively when you uh, are, are face-to-face with a justice-involved veteran for whom that's appropriate. I think just as important, it, it's just as important rather, to understand when that is appropriate and, and when it may not be needed. I, I think there can be a tendency at some sometimes to see a justice-involved veteran 
to see all justice involved veterans is the same and to think, oh, okay, I, I know this individual um, has this issue. Everyone who comes to my attention is having this issue. I'm just going to refer them to Sean, the, the VJO specialist at my facility. And that in, in some cases may not be necessary. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that the, the purpose of, of our program is really to, to be drawing veterans from criminal justice settings into VA care. And not every justice veteran who has a, a criminal justice experience at some point is going to need assistance from a VJO specialist or an HCRD specialist. So, for example, a, a veteran who's on probation right now but is already connected with needing VA care they may not need anything from the VJ specialist. Somebody who has pending charges and is interesting and interested in, in, in getting to know more about a veteran's treatment court where those charges may be able to be transferred likely would benefit um, from talking to a VJ specialist. And that's the kind of distinction that you can learn and, and, and kind of hone your response when veterans raise criminal justice-related um, issues with you. And that really comes from building a relationship, talking one-on-one in HCRB specialists as well, so that you can know what they can offer and, and when it makes sense to ring their bell, so to speak, and, and, and when it may not be necessary. So building the relationships, I think, is the most important step. And, and, you know, I know that you, Sean Clark, you seconded what Sean Liu was saying, and I, I just want to kind of third it, which is to say, in my clinical work as a therapist, I think this can and does happen. I think a lot of times people view this more of the exception than the rule. However, I think so often when I was doing therapy, you definitely see this occur, whether it's, you know, a male or female veteran attempting to kind of leave a situation maybe where they're experiencing intimate partner violence and they don't have housing lined up and maybe they actually were staying in that situation because they were experiencing housing instability or maybe you're mid-course of something like prolonged exposure therapy and someone tells you they got a DWI and you're trying to navigate, how do I continue this course so we can really reduce these PTSD symptoms? And at the same time, this individual needs additional resources to navigate this situation. I think you are both bringing up great situations in which accessing these resources is going to be paramount to ensure uh, that these veterans are receiving optimal care. And I think it also, uh, rather than removing something from the table, rather than saying, okay, we're not doing PE anymore, prolonged exposure therapy anymore. We're saying we're actually going to add something into the equation to make sure you get better on multiple domains. And and to kind of pivot a little, now I want to talk a little bit about something you both have brought up, which is what about people who aren't in the clinical capacity? What about people who aren't clinical social workers or psychiatrists or nurses or psychologists who are working with these populations who are at risk for suicide? And it sounds like you you're both bringing up they they have a really great opportunity to potentially um, intervene or or help out. So I'm wondering, Sean Clark, can you tell me a little bit about what advice you might have for someone who's uh, not in the clinical capacity? Well, and and you know certainly our our, our so many of our partners are you know criminal justice practitioners of um, of one stripe or another. So probation officers, like you mentioned, court staff of of, of you know, with other focuses, local law enforcement to be sure. And, and our, our guidance for them is really, I'm going to sound like a broken record a little bit, but is, is very similar. It is, you know, if you don't know who the VJO specialist is who's serving your area, um, find out. Let, or, or, you know, let us help you find out and make a connection. And, you know, just because I think, you know, so much of that same information is, is just as useful to, for example, a probation officer who's working with, you know, with an individual who has unmet needs and, and learns that they're a veteran, you know, having that linkage to a VJA specialist. So, you know, these staff are the liaisons between the VA healthcare system 
and the criminal justice system and the communities that they serve. And so in that case, I think, you know, we would worry a little bit less than we would with VA providers about, you know, make sure you're only reaching out when it makes sense. And we would, we would, we would expect, we would not expect our partners outside the VA system to do as much digging with an individual and try and think so carefully about, well, is there really going to be something that, that the, the VJ, involving the VJO specialist, for example, is going to add value? We, we wouldn't ask our, our community partners to do that. We would, we would be more focused on encouraging them to, to reach out, to make use of that connection, and, 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 and bring that veteran to the VJO specialist's attention and, and you know, let them help determine what services um, are, 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 are going to be appropriate, if any, in addition to those that they already do provided. So I think it would probably be a, a little bit shorter message for our community providers is get to know the VJOHCRD staff serving your area and become their best friends. You know, uh, reach out to them as much um, as you need to and, you know, let us worry about getting veterans to the right place. You know, it's the no wrong door approach. If, it, if it's a veteran who is, is going to be better served by a different service within VA, we can, we can make that connection. But, you know, look at us as the front door for, you know, if you're working with justice involved the VGO specialists in the, in the prison system, the HCRV uh, staff as well, are your point of contact. Get to know them, reach out, and let them tell you what services they can help veterans get connected to. Um, and then hopefully over time, build those working partnerships that will get veterans connected to those services as they come to your attention. I think those are some great points, and and I think there's definitely nothing wrong with being a broken record because I think that's that's how we keep these messages being consistent and people hearing them to get people accessing these resources, especially in the community as well. Sean Liu, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I would echo a lot of what Sean Clark said, maybe substituting the BJO specialists and the HCRV specialists for the homeless program outreach staff. But it's essentially the same thing. Get to know who your local VA resources are in your community. Make relationships so that you encounter veterans who are either street homeless, in the shelter, maybe they're on a street corner, maybe you learn them just going through a housing crisis. You know where to connect them with. The other thing that I do want to maybe touch on whether it's working with non-clinicians or clinicians, you know, now with a lot of homeless services kind of moving at least conceptually away from like pure medical care into social services. The thing that I really encourage people to remember is that when we think about veterans experiencing homelessness, homelessness is not a character character trait. It is a comment on their living situation, right? So we got to remember that the veterans that we're working with are people they're humans and we want to treat them as such. We want to treat them with kindness and compassion, our veterans, our veteran justice involved veterans as well, you know, because they're going through a really difficult time. And if we can approach that with kindness and compassion, compassion, their ability to access services will be easier. I think those are some great points. And I, I think it's so important what you just brought up, which is humanizing this, this population of individuals, whether it's individuals at risk or experiencing homelessness or involved with the criminal justice system. I think so often there's a stigma placed upon them, which can result in guilt and shame and anger and frustration and sadness. And I think you know, if we can approach these individuals from a place of really attempting to help them, I think that is just so important to be at the forefront for those who are clinical providers or who aren't to ensure that we're preventing veteran suicide. I know we're, we're kind of getting to the tip top of the hour. So I, I want to make sure to kind of wrap this up and give time to any closing comments that either of you might have. So Sean Liu, any final thoughts? 
No, I just really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, Ryan, be here with you, Sean Clark. I, the more I'm learning about our collective work together and just seeing how these different components intersect, homelessness, justice involvement, and suicide risk, the more that it, it really emphasizes the need for like my day-to-day -day activity to be involved with creating more stronger relationships at the local hospital level with our equivalents who are doing the day-to-day -day work. It's it just that interconnectedness, those relationship building that we've talked about this entire hour is just so critical. And I think for me, just this conversation that we're having really emphasizes that. I couldn't agree more. What are your thoughts, Sean Clark? Likewise, I, I think that's extremely well put. And I just really appreciate this opportunity to, you know, I, I over time continue to hopefully broaden my thinking about, you know, the approaches that we as a system can take to serving veterans in their entirety. You know, no one's experience fits a single label, you know, even when we, you know, we may uh, be looking at them in the context of one single institution or one single experience. You know, there's so much more going on for each veteran that we're serving. And there are different ways to understand understand it. I think I used, the, I used the lens image probably to a fault, but there are a lot of different lenses, I, I think, to look at any individual experience and understand it and, and come up with a way to serve that person um, in, in the most effective way. And, and conversations like this, I think, are, are helping us improve our ability to do that all the time. And like you say, Sean, most importantly, at the local level, where providers are teaming up and sharing their expertise and coming up with new ways to respond holistically um, to veterans and, and make sure that they're really getting everything that they need in a healthcare system that has defined itself as broadly as VA, you know, that includes so many elements that you don't see um, in other um, healthcare um, systems, other healthcare settings um, in this country. I think it's really encouraging that VA is continuing to, to, to think of itself and the services that it provides in the healthcare system more and more broadly over time, broaden the array of services and, and the goals that it's directing those to for the benefit of veterans and their families. So um, just really grateful for this opportunity to, to chat with you all today. So thank you both. Thank you to both the Sean's and that's Sean Clark and Sean Liu. I think you're both doing really amazing work. And, and I know we appreciate it here at the Rocky Mountain Myrick and appreciate you both taking your time to discuss this, this major issue here and, and figuring out not only all the great resources that exist, but also help to really humanize this population and help those in clinical and outside of clinical capacities to understand why this risk is there and, and what they can do about it. So thank you both. Thank you.